Blog Talk Radio. Everybody listening to the uh, oh, to right to the roundtable. This is uh, your host Jonathan Moody, and tonight um, we have so far two of the three guests. Um, I'm guessing the third one's going to fall in fairly soon. But we've got uh, Cameron Scott and uh, Michael Hoffman on the phone. How are you doing, Cameron? I'm doing pretty good tonight. How are you doing, John? Doing fantastic. How are you doing, Michael? I'm alive, man. Which is ninety nine percent of the battle. Yeah. Any day above ground is a good day, right? Yeah, I, I, I'm I beginning to think that as I get older, yes. <laughs> All right, and our uh, third and uh, final caller is just called in. Hey, Scott, how are you doing? How you doing? All right, it's Scott Tepperman, everybody. Um, now, uh, basically, I'm going to do it in alphabetical order of last name, I guess. So um, I guess we'll have uh, Michael go first and then... Uh, Cameron, and then Scott, and I'm basically going to ask you all um, the same questions and then just go down the the order and see what your guys' uh, thoughts on them all are. Uh, First question to kick off the night is, um, I guess, uh, Michael, when was the moment you realized that film was what you wanted to do? Uh, I guess, um, Jesus, Apparently, according to uh, my family, when I was three, I think uh, my mom said I used to direct her for some reason. I used, to, I used to have her dress up as a cop in the living room of my home down when we lived in Miami and uh, make her pull me over on my tricycle in the living room and pretend to write me a ticket, literally. I think it was three, three and a half. Right when I learned to talk, I started directing her. So I think they gave me a camcorder when I was six, and we're going back to the 80s there. So it was one of those like, Fisher-Price ones that was... Um, black and white that shot in cassette tapes and then um i don't know i just did it forever and i ended up paing with uh when i was a kid in high school uh tim ritter and um then i'm uh after work with him for a couple years and a couple of movies there um i was like yeah i'd like to do this myself and made a couple micro budgeters then moved to pittsburgh wrote for corbin bernson and then said hey i want to do something legitimate and it was my goal to make a film with a legitimate budget and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I worked my butt off and moved all over the country making some thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 movies before I finally got the bigger film. And I guess I, I always wanted to do it, you know? It was just one of those things, really. I was born that way. You know, I think it's really funny that you mentioned Tim Ritter, and we got Scott on the phone, you know, on the, on the show, too, and he's... Uh, also working with Tim on uh, Truth of Dare Five, so co-directing with him. So you know, it's oh, really, awesome. it's a cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. what what a small world, a right? Guy. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. <laughs> you know, I've known him since uh, ninety. We would say no, since ninety five. But first work with Tim in ninety seven, Truth of Dare Three, and then I was in Dirty Cop No Donut and shot some of that for him when I was a kid. I was, I think it was, I was still in high school. Actually, so. I actually just picked up picked up a copy of Dirty Cop No Donut from uh, uh, Joel Weinkoop this past week. Okay, so, well, you'll you'll I'll tell you this. You'll see me in there. I'm the undercover cop at the. My face is blurred. That arrests 
uh, Joel at the end of the movie, and my ex-girlfriend oh. at the time, who I was dating in high school, is the domestic abuse victim that's tied up with the police tape in the movie. And when Tim was on camera, I had to shoot that stuff. Awesome. That's cool. So it was like, I remember the budget there was very low. Tim handed me, I, I was like doing dual enrollment in college for film and like learning, you know, obviously creative lighting design and, and, and you know, learning the plane and the axis and eye line and everything. And when we went to make the movie, Tim's like, here's the camera and a flashlight. Light her up. And I was like shooting on, I can't remember if we were like on high eight or super VHS or something. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah it's going to be like cops. Just use a flashlight. So we're like, okay. So the whole movie, Tim, when he was shooting, we just pull out his camcorder and a flashlight, flip it on, and we shoot. That was it. No sound, no nothing. It's a built-in microphone. That is awesome. Um, now, uh, Cameron, when was the moment you realized that that film was the what you wanted to do? You know, um, I was very young. Uh, I was uh, probably just a couple years older than Michael uh, when I found out. I was. I went with my mother, and my mother used to take me to the drive-in all the time, even when I was three, four, five years old, very young. Loved the drive-in. The first movie I remember seeing was in 1981, seeing Lucio Fulci Zombie. And at that moment, I knew right then and there, even at five years old, that like this was something amazing. I wanted to create something as uh, something as visceral and entertaining as you know a Fulci movie. I'm a big fan of the Italian cinema, and just growing up. Um, I started off with writing, uh, very young, eight, nine, ten years old. Was was writing and starting to make little, you know, uh, Super Eight films and whatnot. And uh, I actually uh, got my start in the business uh, due to Linnea Quigley. Um, I was a big fan of hers. We became friends, uh, and uh, over the years of corresponding, she invited me. In about 2002 was when I got started. She invited me to a movie set. Uh, was a film uh, still yet to be released, though. It's uh, kind of in limbo at the moment, but uh, it was called It Came From Trafalgar. And I became friends with the director there, and it, things just kind of escalated, just went to the next project to the next project. I just got brought on as a production assistant, started working camera, doing special effects, and uh, made my first feature, though it took uh, the trials and tribulations of filmmaking. took five years to get my first feature done. And I spent, you know... Uh, every resource, every penny I had putting into uh, my first feature, Postmortem America 2021, which just came out last year. Of course, starred Linnea. always remembered her getting me my start in the business, so, of course, I wrote my first movie for her. And, uh, you know, led me to where I am right now on your show. <laughs> and I've worked, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of projects since then, but getting to work, you know, with her and work with, uh, uh, especially with people like uh, Edward X. Young and, and Joel Weinkoop from, you know, Dirty Cop, No Donut, Truth or Dare. So, you got uh, you know, it's, it's a small world when you figure out how not, not a, a single one of us, me, Michael, or Scott, have ever worked together, but we've all worked in the same general vicinity working with the same people. Well, I used I to live five I, miles from Joel, by the way, so or seven miles. So, yeah, I grew up with Joel pretty much when I was in high school. <laughs> Joel is great. My, I have to give a shout-out to Joel. Joel is just one of the greatest guys I've ever walked this earth. He's such He's a cool one of the most enthusiastic people, no matter what you give him. Uh, Joel will always give it far beyond 100%. And to let you know, one other ironic thing is there. I uh, Back in 2004, I was living in Illinois, and uh, Lene at the time, I was uh, seeing the guy I was living with, so she'd actually come and stay in our house on and off with us for, I think, a couple weeks at a time. So that's how I got to know Linnea years ago. 
roommate. It's funny. I, I live in Illinois now. What, what's, okay. what's the okay. he was, <laughs> It was uh, outside of Galena, so it was way out there by Iowa where we were. Uh, oh, again. wow. Well, small world, crazy. Uh, Scott, how did you, uh, when did you realize that that film was what you wanted to do? Um, well, first, I definitely want to say it's really uh, a, it's cool and it's a, a real big pleasure to meet you guys, Michael, Cameron, and to be on with you, Jonathan, is really cool. Um, so, you know, you know, it, hopefully we'll get a chance to work together down the line. It sounds like it, we're not two steps, too many steps far f- away from that. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I basically, um, I, I was like six or seven years old, and I, I, I literally, I didn't have a VCR, I didn't have any money, my family had no money, and I'm giving a sob story, but this is this is what happened. And um, I would go, and all my friends were, I'm from New York, all my friends would be playing on the streets, stickball or handball in, in the alleys or whatever, um, and I would be going to video stores, and I would look at all the back of the beta tapes and the VHS tapes and just read about them. And just take in the images. Take it. This is why I'm a huge VHS, as I'm sure you guys are. Huge VHS enthusiast. I have a giant collection of them, and I, you know, my, my VCR ate one of my beloved movies last night. So yeah, oh, that hurts. I felt yeah, that. It yeah, hurts. I felt that. But but I mean, you know, that's just that's. I've always carried that with me, and um, I've always had that that drive, that desire, that personality. You know, I I went to originally be a writer. I was going to be a film critic. Um, but everyone was saying that my my taste in film was really bad, <laughs> and I was thinking, well, it's actually it's unique. It's 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 honed to certain things that people aren't picking up, and I'm seeing a lot of the nuances in films, and I'm appreciating that people don't. Um, so then I started studying film in college. I started studying um, theater, performing arts. I did some musical theater for a couple of years, and I actually did my first feature in 1999, um, which was never released. Uh, and if anyone out there is uh, pretty good with research, they can go check it out and try to track it down. I'm not going to say what it is. But um, I was pretty much the leading role in there, and I knew that I, I wanted to do this forever. Um, and then I, you know, I, I've been a paranormal investigator for since, like, 2003. And uh, I was lucky enough to, you know, apply for literally a casting call online in 2009 for GHI on Sci-Fi. And um, I got that job. And I always wanted to do horror. I didn't want to do paranormal. I was just, I was interested in paranormal, but uh, just because of my love of horror, you know, poltergeist, somebody of horror, all that stuff, kept me somewhat interested in that field. Um, and then when I started getting ghost hunters, people started telling me that I'm, I'm actually a pretty big name in the paranormal field and this and that. I had no idea. You know, I'm, I'm Scott. I didn't realize that. But um, I started thinking, okay, well, if I have some kind of a name, I'm going to start hitting up a lot of people uh, in the independent film uh, circle that uh, I was a big fan of that, that genre, and I, and I still am. And I literally was contacting people, and I'm saying, hey, if you want some, someone with somewhat of a name that might be possibly bankable for a film that you can't afford anyone on, let me come on board for free. Let me show you what I can do and, and this and that. And um, you guys know, obviously, we've been talking about it. It's, it's a very small circle, um, and everyone knows everybody. And word started spreading that uh, I'm actually – not a terrible actor, and I'm uh, very enthusiastic on the set, and I know the genre. I mean, I really know the genre, and um, I- I'm just a good person to have on board for a film set. So, you know, I started getting really good roles, and, you know, Tim Ritter and I met, we were talking online, and he was one of my idols growing up, and um, I-, I just started, I-, I hit him up online, I-, I don't remember why, I think I was writing my book about the, the overlooked films out there, all the overlooked movies that people just have forgotten about over time or for whatever reason. 
and I did tell Tim Ritter about uh, the fact that I put Truth or Dare, or Critical Madness in there, and he was really, really cool. I mean, you guys know Tim. He was like, oh, my God, this is blah, 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 blah. He found out I was going to be in an event uh, several years back screening a film that I that I had been uh, a part of the hospital. Um, and he's like, maybe I'll come out. It's in Kentucky. It's not far from me. Maybe I'll come out and meet you. And I thought he was just being, you know, nice and, and cordial, and I didn't expect anything, but it was cool that he said that. Uh, he showed up at the convention just to meet me, hung out, uh, was looked really interested in everything, and we were just talking about a whole bunch of stuff. And it was that point that I actually was really saying, you know, Tim, Truth to Death 5 needs to happen. Uh, and I knew, you know, all the, the craziness with the fourth and the problems that were going on with certain people involved in the production and and uh, and all that. And uh, he was a little hesitant, but he started getting going, and he and I started sharing ideas back and forth. And, uh, you know, I got at his house. We filmed the, the, the teaser, and we've been talking nonstop pretty much for the past two years, um, really wanting to conceptualize a sequel that there's nothing wrong with the sequels that were in the franchise. I mean, three is actually my favorite. Um, but All right, they, the one I worked they, on. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. But they did get away from the original. So, you know, we I had certain things, and Tim's like, you know, he's a great writer, and he's telling me, he's like, uh, what do you want to do? What do you want to do this and that? How do you want to? I'm like, you're the writer. You're like a fantastic writer. I'll give suggestions. But, um, you know, the main thing is that we have to bring Joel back. There's no way that when I, he created the, the series with him. Um, and Joel's been, you know, he's telling me, he's like, Scott, thank you for including me in this. I'm like, you, you made the series, dude. There's no, it's <laughs> unbelievable. To, to, it, it's unfathomable to think of it without you. Uh, but, you know, we want to get Asbestos Felt back on board. You know, we're really trying to... No, you guys got Asbestos. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're working on it. You know, we're, I was going to say Asbestos, yeah. I used him in Girls Gone Dead. It's the other, it's the other movie he raps in. And, yeah, uh, exactly. But, I mean, he's cool. We, you know, we've spoken and everything else, told him what we want to do. Um, but it's going to really pay homage to the fans. And, and uh, you know, Tim was saying originally, he was like, yeah, we can be executive producers, we can do this and that, we can do all this other stuff. And then one day he, he we had a long talk, and he's like, um, aside from wanting you to star in it, which I was blown away, I was like, that's just fantastic. He said, uh, I'd be honored if you would co-direct it with me. You, you, we seem to be on the exact same page. Just you and I, let's hit it, knock it out of the park. You know, we're finishing each other's sentences. We're finishing each other's ideas with stuff. And um, and, and that's where we are right now. I mean, we're filming late spring, early summer. We're hashing out details as we speak. I mean, I'm talking to you guys, and I'm literally uh, writing stuff down to email him and jotting notes and getting stuff from him. And it's just crazy. You know, I've landed that. I've got Don't Look in the Basement 2. I got um, Night of the Living Dead, Genesis 1, which is actually happening. It's just taking a little while. And just to be involved with these productions and these a lot of these people that have been involved with, you know, these original films that are being sequelized or remade or whatever, it's just a huge honor. And and I don't want to be doing anything else with my life. So I, I better figure out how to do this because this is all I want to do. And I feel like this is the only thing I'm good at. <laughs> I know that's sad, but <laughs> it's just a fact. And and you, you guys know, too, you don't want to do anything else. That's the passion. Nobody can take that from you, so... Exactly. All right. Well, the next question um, uh, is, uh, okay, Michael, uh, finding money is probably one of the hardest parts of making movies. How do you go about fundraising? Uh, I don't. Um, I've never fundraised. I've never crowd-raised. It's always been a fall into, I think, because at the time I put out my 
when I did my first micro-budget movie right when I was out of college, um, shot it in XL1. That was like a big deal because no one was even shooting on that yet because everything was pretty much either really shitty video or, or you know, still in the, the 16 or Super 16 because we could afford 35 realm. I got lucky in the terms of that. Um, I was like one of the first to do that, and then it made its rounds, and then people offered me small amounts. But, I mean, they were tiny movies. We did, you know, two films, one in Los Angeles and one in Illinois with – Oh, less than sixty grand combined, and I didn't know anyone in either state before I went there. It wasn't like friends or anything, you know. We had to fly cast from L.A. to Illinois, and you know, it's a bad movie. I put a uh, you know, <laughs> uh, alias name on Spring Break Massacre, but you know, it sold thousands and thousands and thousands of units, you know, and was really popular blockbuster. Um, but we, you know, I um, when that was done, I more got into post. So it was one of those things where um, when I started working on bigger films that were over, you know, like a million-dollar budget, um, I don't know. I, I, when I came back to Florida with my union card, the Editor's Guild, I got a full-time job as an editor and shooter back here because I preferred living here and fell into um, Girls Gone Dead. It was a, a friend of, of one of my bosses who was like, oh, I want to make a movie. And I was like, oh, uh, okay, so... I just said, I'll pitch you a couple of premises sitting here. This one's been optioned and landed back to me before, and we were actually going to do something small because Spring and Massacre had sold so many units, and he owned a distribution output, and he changed it on me. And, you know, what was a $50,000 film became a almost half a million dollar film by the time it was all said, done, and completed, you know, after deliverables, because that cost a lot of money to turn in once we had shot it. I think we spent like 350 on the shoot or something around there, but, um, yeah, so it wasn't, it's not like I, I, I've never asked, I paid for my first two movies out of pocket and on credit cards when I was a kid, so, um, and I've never looked for a dollar since, even though we probably sold 100,000 units or so of, um, Girls Gone Dead between digital rentals, digital sales, and plus it's always on, you know, Showtime and the movie channel, Chiller bought it, and we sold out of Best Buy three times and stuff, I've, Never look for a nickel because I just figured if it's a good project, it'll it'll find me. If not, I, I was very – my goal when I started this was to make a film that I flip on late-night TV and see on the rounds. And, uh, God, now I see it too much, you know. But it was like I told my wife because it took two years of my life, literally almost three, to get that film made. And it was rocky, and there was bridges that were burned and other things that happened that uh, – I'm not going to chase a dollar. You know, if I decide to do something one day, I may turn to maybe crowdfunding or something along those lines, you know, but it would have to be a private project and not a work for hire like it's been in the past where I'm directing a product for a box. It would have to be a, a personal project. I just got lucky with Girls Gone Dead and the fact that that was a personal project, but like anything else, it's been heavily altered as there's so much money and multiple people involved, you know. So that's it. Right. I guess sheer dumb luck and just cons- consistently working and, you know, making connections, even the ones I fall into, you know. Exactly. All right, how about you, Cameron? Uh, how do you go about fundraising? Uh, that's the, tricky, uh, the trickiest part of, uh, at least for me, for uh, filmmaking is uh, I've never been that great at raising money. To be quite honest, I paid for my, my first film uh, also out of pocket and put on credit cards and pretty much uh, 
sold everything I had that was worth a nickel to get my first movie made because, to be honest, I never thought I'd be doing this. I never thought I'd really be a filmmaker. I always thought, if anything, I would just be a writer, which is my main passion. I love the, the creation process of creating the characters and writing for the characters and the dialogue and whatnot. But, um, you know, I, I basically I pulled in a lot of favors for my first film, uh, a lot of friends and family. About. I did uh, succumb to the crowdfunding uh, genre or uh, thing that you call it. <laughs> I tried to... Uh, uh, Kickstarter to raise the last few thousand dollars to finish postmortem because at the end it ran, of course, over budget as things always tend to do. No, over budget. What? No, not in this business. <laughs> not not in this business. Yeah, you know, because he really what set me back uh, a lot for that film to tell a quick quick story was it was uh, rain. Every time I, I tried to schedule anything, we'd get rained out. I I scheduled three days of shooting. When we shot with uh, Monique Dupree and Jim O'Rear, we had a four-day shoot that completely rained out one day. Shot a bunch of interior stuff, but everything went over a day. So, a little well, I just let you know, don't feel too bad. I was producing and directing a film that was costing us between seven and $10,000 a day to run the set. And in Florida, the weather got so cold, we couldn't shoot outdoors and had to cancel it and postpone it. And I thought Girls Gone Dead was never going to get done, hence a heavy budget overrun. We're talking an extra hundred and some odd grand weather. Over weather. There's one thing that as a filmmaker I think you have absolutely no control over. If you think you have control over anything, you're wrong. But if you do, it's definitely not weather. So weather kind of screwed us up there. But uh, for the next project I'm I'm doing, I'm I'm doing, uh, again, uh, probably about half out of pocket and half by uh, crowdfunding. Uh, You know, Kickstarter worked uh, well for me. I did it in a time when nobody was doing Kickstarter. It was several years back before everybody everybody and their brother was doing a Kickstarter, which is not a bad thing because it's worked for some people. But this also, I think, kind of watered things down where, you know, people find projects they want to contribute to, but, you know, they have, uh, you know, 15 projects they want to contribute to. They're probably going to be, you know, a little selective. But, hey, more power to anybody that can make that kind of system work. It's a great tool. But, uh, yeah, mostly um, I've, I've funded everything out of pocket or through uh, Indiegogo and Kickstarter because uh, the only two means I know uh, I'd like to learn more aspects of uh, being able to raise money because that is, the to me, the, the hardest part. And I could do without having to raise money. The next project I would love to just be a, just to be a for-hire type of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, tell you definitely. what, though. I, I'll tell you one thing, though. If you do raise massive money, I mean... It's rough. I mean, if if it's in your name, you've got to set up your corporations. I mean, even I had to deal with the IRS about certain instances. You've got to be make sure you're insured, you're prepped, you've got completion financing, you've got liabilities up the wazoo. I mean, um, oh. I got lucky in the fact that my wife's mother worked for the entertainment company that I worked for as an accountant. I had a free accountant during the shoot, which, considering all the petty cash dispense, the money's in and out, we were within like $700 or something. You know, it was tight cause you know, you give some enough people 50 bucks when they return you the receipt, they're going to give you change will get lost or a dollar here and there. So it's pretty damn good considering, you know, the, the instances. But I'll tell you what, it's a a big nightmare from a logistics standpoint if you decide to ever have that kind of capital and produce and direct and do multiple things to the point where it'll actually kill you. And I would never, ever, again, do that, do those many responsibilities. I'd almost like to raise money for someone else's film that they're making and just make sure it gets completed and delivered properly. Yeah, I'm with you there. Well, Scott, yeah. um, Scott what are your uh, theories on um, fundraising? 
Well, I mean, uh, I make no qualms about using um, Indiegogo or, or Kickstarter. Um, you know, any way we can raise money, if we can self-finance it, we can. I know for truth or dare, we we are trying to, um, fin- you know, uh, top it off with with those funds. Um, but the the power of social media is huge, and and you know, people are so interested in. And I think you guys are bringing up too, you know, if someone has a few dollars and are interested in doing that. They're regardless two, three, four, five, ten, twenty dollars. They're they're uh, financially invested in it as well as emotionally invested in. It. And then you know they they become some of your your advertisers, your champions, your whatever to push the film. And I think that's really important. And to, you know to give them something back where they actually they're understanding, you know, it's going to be like a PBS thing where you spend $500 and you get like a stuffed Big Bird or something. Um, you know, you can't obviously make the perks be anywhere near what people are donating because you'd never make any money, but then you want them to know that they are appreciated. So I think proper credit given, really keeping people in the loop and really showing appreciation for whatever does seem to help. Um, I know we're going to do a finishing funds one for Truth or Dare down the line. Tim and I are talking about doing it uh, very soon. Um, but yeah, I mean, any way you can get money and do it, uh, without totally destroying your own credit, if that's even possible for some of us. Anymore. I would never, ever again. I learned my lesson. <laughs> exactly. It took me exactly. years to, 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 uh, buy my house because I yeah. had seven years of cleaning that nonsense up. Yeah. I was exactly. stupid in my early twenties and yeah, not exactly. again. So, <laughs> so you just try to reach out the best you can. Yeah. It's not worth it. So wherever you can get a little bit here and there and, and uh, spread the wealth around, spread the wealth around, so to speak. Um, I, I think that that has been working the best for me right now. And I have a couple of projects running on there that I'm not necessarily headlining because uh, everyone would be like, "Oh, he's just begging for money left and right." But um, I'm involved in some way with certain things just to keep this going, just to help us out in the long run. Cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, last question I'm going to ask tonight. Um, we're almost out of time um, and stuff. Is uh, how do you separate your personal life from your professional life as a filmmaker in some uh, way? So, uh, Michael, first. Poorly. That's the answer. <laughs> Extremely poorly. My That's wife um, Yeah, my wife wrote um, all my exploitation movies, um, pretty much. So she's included. When I'm shooting, though, um, she knows that whatever she turns in is going to go through a blender and usually come back 30% there. And, uh, you know... Whenever I have issues with producers or anything, because there's there's always behind the scenes drama, and um, no, I, I'm I'm a pretty bottom line guy. I'm, I'm kind of a no no bullshit, and I understand the business relatively well. I've worked for a lot of distributors. I know where there's money in this business, and there's not. And right now, I can tell you, there's not a lot of money in this business. There's an over influx of product and not enough consumers on the market. I can guarantee you that, that even if you get lucky and a title blows up like I had, you know, over the last two years, you're not going to be rolling in dough and driving the Corvette from the executive producers, promise you. And for my wife to be involved with the projects personally as a writer and watch them get usually halfway butchered and also knows the predicaments, the amount of work you're doing, which essentially is pro bono, or even if you end up paid, it's, pennies on the dollar, you know, and if it, on at least the films I've been doing, cause I've been trying to get as much on screen, and the last movie I did, I got big names, at least for us, I mean, a couple huge ones in it, you know, um, I would say that it never worked out <laughs> to where 
it could be separated, and that's a polite reason why once I got a major film done, I'm kind of on a hiatus. I'm at that point in my life where do I want kids? I, you know, maybe I'm in my mid-30s. We better do it now. So I can't lose another few years for my wife because I was flying around. I'd be at Technicolor in New York and back home and then have to go to L.A. for ADR sessions. And by the time you're done and I'm living at the studio cutting the thing, you know, for a year and a half, it just, it's impossible for them, at least in my personal opinion, to not blend together. But I know there are people that balance it really well, but again, I think those are more work-for-hire jobs where there's legitimate departments where the director is not the editor, not the producer, not the music supervisor, and dealing with, like, huge record labels and licensing, you know, and crap, it's, it's and, and insurance policies, and, you know, and every deliverable known to mankind, and DM&E sound mixes. It just, for me, it's, it's always a bit overbearing, because once the movie's done, then I'm dealing with the distributors and the deliverables and iTunes quality <laughs> control reports and TV del- and, and HD cam dubs and down conversions and Powell conversions, and you're like, ay, 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 you know, it doesn't end. So um, I found it personally impossible, but um, I will say this. My day job is shooting, and I shoot for a lot of big corporations. I just shot for Seiki and uh, Wicked, Wicked Audio and stuff out in Vegas, and I uh, have my wife coming out there and helping me on some of the shoots, which is a free vacation, paying gigs where I go out there and do commercials and in-house parties never spill over. I think just the movies do because we're all personally attached to them. And even if it's a work for hire, I'm the kind of guy that I don't do this very often. I've made, what, four movies or in the last decade pretty much. Um, it's one of those things where I fight, so it spills over, trust me. Many nights of angry screaming on the phone with people, which is... I'm sure it's par for the corpse, right? right. Oh, no, right. no. I've had a shouting match or screaming match with anybody over movie making. Never. Yeah, you know, no, this is, yeah, it's rough. <laughs> right. I, I was just called, a, a, I think, insane the other day by someone on the phone. I'm sitting there thinking, like, Jesus Christ, I'm the most bottom line, dollars and cents, here's the reality guy. You know, I don't <laughs> ever look at things through rose-colored glasses because the truth of the matter is, I think we all know this, the Internet's opened up the means of getting people to see your movie, but getting them to pay for it, uh-huh. that's rough. I mean, yeah. avenues and outputs are rough. If you make a film, whatever you put into it, the odds are you're going to lose money. And the only reason small titles are making money, just remember this, is because they're not that small of titles. The budget's probably the same as my picture, but the reason my picture may break even or make a few dollars, the huge budget and selling to 50 countries or lose money, you know, is because whoever financed it was the person who's releasing it. So if you see something from a lot of these labels, they're subsidiary corporations of Universal, and there's no middleman taking out percentages and back ends because it's a direct product they drop and sell advertising blocks to, and it's direct delivery. You know, there is no middle guy in there taking it. No real distributor. They're handling their own content. When they go to iTunes, there's no third party like Gravitas and a distributor. You're getting, they're getting residuals, just iTunes is taking their share and delivering. So that's something to consider is that when you see, even though my movie was sold to sci-fi as well, the movies that sci-fi produce are going to make a lot more for sci-fi, you know, because they use their own company. Like uh, uh, everybody loves, um, what do they call it, does the knockoffs? Uh, um, what, what, what's, the uh, Asylum. The Asylum. Asylum. That's that's sci-fi. That that is universal, and that's all NBC, and it's Comcast that buys your title. 
they own all of them. Yep. So that's uh, that, that's well, real. Yep, Cameron. Uh, like, how do you separate the personal from the professional? Um, I would say the, much the same way Michael described poorly. Uh, there's there's times where it, uh, both lives have spilled out into one another because when you know, I have a regular day job. I work forty fifty hours a week and trying to find time to just do what we do, which is what we're doing now, to be able to find time for a radio show or find time to write or to produce. And every project that I work on is my own is my own thing. It's my own homegrown project and I'm personally involved with. Uh, and I agree with a lot with Michael said, you know, I mean you 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 uh uh you have these companies that own everything, you know, like sci fi, you know, and Comcast, you know, some names that he's mentioned, you know. They're releasing all their own projects, and you're, you know, if you spend twenty thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars on a movie, you have to be able to realistically think to yourself, you know, I'm going to lose money on this, yep. at least initially, and, you know, that plays a lot into it. You know, when you have a wife and you have a family, and you have to explain, you know, well, you know, like, well, part of the idea of the grocery budget this week might have to go for uh, the special effects. And, like, well, you know, after we make the car payment, we don't have any money. So it's just kind of one of those things you, you have money troubles and personal troubles. I tried to not to let them spill over as much these days. Uh, several years back when I was in the, the heat of making Postmortem America, which is the one solo uh, feature film I've made, I've made. 14 short films, which is just to keep my creative juices flowing. I have to be shooting something, writing something, uh, you know, doing something, or I feel like I'm going insane. So uh, working on little projects like that help. But um, I try to I try to separate them as much as possible these days. You know, having date nights with my wife, so to speak, and setting a day aside where, like, no, honey, I'm not writing tonight. I'm not going to spend four hours on the phone. And, oh, no, I didn't forget uh, Valentine's Day this year, first time in four years. Thank you very much. Uh, that, that, so, that's bad, dude. That, that is not good. If you, yeah, if you know, so <laughs> it, was, it was hard to separate it that way. I, w- I would say I do it much better these days now that I'm closing in on 40 and uh, not so close to in my late 20s, early 30s. Um, it's, 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 it's like with everything. Do, do we part. all destroy our late 20s and early 30s? Because I'm turning 34 <laughs> in a week, and I feel like I just got past that. What the hell did I do the last four years of my life situation? Well, no, I, I turned 39 this year, you know, and I thought to myself, it's, it's seriously, my 20-year high school reunion is coming up, and I'm like, where the fuck did the time go? You know, when, when did I make this uh, decision to become such a responsible adult? And, you know, there's times I have to say I don't like it. I, I, I like being a little childish. But, you know, I, I would say um, separating the two is, is always a learning process. You probably have good days and bad days. I say these uh, more recently, I'm having good days of keeping them separated, and I keep trying to do that because I think it's good for your sanity. Yes. And, okay. And what about you, uh, Scott? Well, I'll just say, you know, the doing GHI for three years and such a popular show at the time, it was very demanding, um, and it was, you know, being away for a month at a time and then home for a week was pretty rough. Did that for three years, kind of figured out how I wanted to do things, how I didn't, and I've been in this film industry, so to speak, for going on my third year right now. And I'm just a sponge, man. I, I'm, I'm sitting back and I'm watching everyone and learning. Uh, it's the best thing anyone can do. And I'm seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. And I've been blessed enough to be uh, to be, become uh, one of my closest friends is Jim O'Rear. You guys spoke about as well. But um, he's just 
fantastic. And and he's just been, you know, we've been good for each other. We've been helping each other along, and I've been lucky to be in some of his projects as well. And I'm just learning a lot. And uh, you know, I'm getting some people that I get to speak candidly to, and I learn stuff. Um, and and just exchange ideas and learn and grow and it's exciting, man. And you know, I'm aware the time's marching on as well. I'm 41 right now, uh, and I don't have a decade uh, worth of films or experience behind me. But um, I'm a quick learner. This is all I want to do, and it's full steam ahead, man. Like I said, I'm I'm just taking it all in. All right. Well, uh, let's um, go around. I'm gonna go around, and I'm gonna uh, basically ask you two questions, which is. Uh, what are you up to now, and how can people reach you? So, Michael, uh, what are you up to now, and uh, how can people reach you? Uh, what am I up to? Okay, uh, pretty much my day job, which is shooting and editing. Um, lots of exciting things. I just did a shoot with some of the biggest PGA golfers in the country when I got back from Vegas and doing corporate stuff. Um, so I still old titles I'm remastering, and, and for a while I was working with distribution. But um, on the movie line, uh, aside from discussing old titles and uh, grabbing back beers and saying, what the hell did I do that for? Uh, if people want to get in touch with me, they're more than welcome to. I guess the best place to find me would just be to look me up on uh, Facebook. or um, Yeah, or I think my email address on IMDB under the contact details, I'm pretty sure. But uh, that would that would be it. Yeah, I think that's how I originally found you for when we did the Independent Corner and stuff. Yeah, I talked it, and I actually did get some death threats. No joke. This is This is what happens when you have a twenty thousand dollar movie released in big stores. People get pissed, right? This is not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, Cameron, uh, you know, what are you up to, and how can people uh, reach you? Um, actually, these days I'm doing a lot of writing. Um, I just finished uh, the anthology script that I'm getting ready to produce and shoot this summer. It'll be my next uh, feature film, I figured. Uh, since it took me five years to make the first one, my goal is to have this one done in six months. So I'll talk to you in six months. We'll see how well I fared. From, but uh, right now, I mean, I took a bit of a hiatus for about a year, year and a half. I had That was part of that separation of personal life and uh film life and whatnot, but I'm getting back into the swing of things. Um, if people want to get a hold of me, um, all my contact info is at my website, which is pma2021.com, and, or they can find me on Facebook as well, which is you know uh, my main uh, marketing tool. I, I, as we were talking about earlier, I need to get on Twitter and get some more, uh, a little bit more uh, socially uh, uh, obtainable, but uh I kind of don't like the whole uh, social media thing, but, you know. It's, it's I am with tool. you, man. I, I hear you. I feel a little weird. I'm not going to tweet what I ate. I think I have to Jonathan to ask me, <laughs> what about your Twitter? I'm like, I think I have 16 followers, you know. So I, yeah. Uh, I, 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 that, that, the that's only one I didn't have to ask I think I put a, Scott. Well, right, right. Yeah. He, well, you're a TV personality. I, you know what? Let me add one thing, though. I forgot to say this because I'll probably get shot, but if anyone actually has work or anything – uh, the other way to get a hold of me is Bon Jovi Entertainment, which is Tony Bon Jovi, the producer, and yes, John's cousin, he did produce John Bon Jovi's early stuff, who I work for. B-O-N-G-I-O-V-I dash entertainment dot com would probably be the easiest way to get a hold of me for any reason at all. Okay, okay um, and uh, I guess, Scott, uh, you know, what are you up to and uh, how can people reach um, you? 
Well, I just was um, just finished up associated producer duties on the hospital too um, a couple weeks ago, or yeah, about a week and a half, two weeks ago now, uh, which is gonna be awesome. W. Rashawn was in it. We had um, we had Betsy Rue in it. Really good, really good group of people, and a lot of people returning from the first one. I'm um, getting ready to film Truth or Dare uh, 5, and it's going to be the late spring, early summer. We're just locking down locations and working out details uh, because obviously we're working with a non-existent budget, which you guys know how that is. Yeah. Um, I'm also uh, getting ready to film my first short film ever, uh, which is probably going to be within the next, I'd say, three or four months. I'm just li- lining that up as well and try to get experience with that. And we're also launching a... Uh, um, a brand new web series of a paranormal uh, investigation uh, type of show, and the format's going to be really good because it's going to work very well for a web series instead of a TV series. I don't want to say too much of it. It's called Hunt This, um, but uh, we're, we're we already have donors and sponsors for that. And we're trying to probably finish it up on crowdsourcing as well, uh, but that's going to be a really good one. We have some big names in the paranormal field involved with that, including myself. And then I'm also um, going to be launching something very exciting probably next month. Uh, I don't want to say exactly what it is, but um, this will definitely kick me into the filmmaker pool, so to speak. So uh, if everyone wants to keep an eye out for that, that that'd be great. Uh, and you can anyone can reach me on uh, scott-tepperman.com, and that links to my Facebook and Twitter and uh, my email and all that stuff. And I think I'm filled up on Facebook right now, but you can still... Um, message me and I like to interact with everybody on there. I don't just try to get a bunch of people on there and just say, hey, look what I have. I like to actually connect with everybody because everyone shares information all the time and, you know, uh, social media can be an amazing thing. It's supposed to be a pain in the ass where all you see are like cat memes all day, but, uh, you know, it's a really good way to network and market and learn and and meet people. So uh, I invite people to please come join me there and share some ideas and thoughts and whatever. It's good stuff to reach out to. Definitely. Well, thank you guys all for calling in and everything. It was awesome having you guys on and, and feeling how connected you all are and not even really realizing like you're all like that. That's just awesome. Well, because um, Joel Weinkoop's in everything. Can we be honest here? He's in everything, <laughs> for God's sake. Come on. He should be if he's not. Wait, there's something Joel wasn't in? He's like this generation's John Carradine. <laughs> Yeah, well, know. thank you all guys. Right. Uh, I hope you guys all had a great night, and uh, good night. Hey, all right, thank you guys. Thanks so much.